Hey everybody, Yislike here. Thanks for tuning in today. Before we start the episode, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by A Thousand Dreams, a developing adult liberal arts curriculum that celebrates transgression in most of its forms. Currently, the curriculum is comprised of a daily blog, four weekly podcasts, weekly multimedia lectures, a book vlog, lots of extra content on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest, and a Patreon that includes exclusive content and early access to much of our regular content. You can access all of our content, including a link to our Patreon, from our central hub at a thousanddreams.org. Please send comments and questions about the curriculum to a thousanddreams.org at gmail.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Meet the Rockadopolis. I'm Yislike Rockadopolis. Lance Rockadopolis here. And today we're going to be talking about our experience at the NoCo Slosh. Just so you know, NoCo is short for Northern Colorado. So first, what we're going to do is just give you a preview of the questions that are more or less guiding this discussion. They are, what are some significant differences between slushes and munches? This is our first slosh. So we were curious as to why there's a slosh and a munch when a lot of munches do have alcohol connected to them. Oh, I suppose we should tell people what a slosh is just in case they don't know. A slosh is a lot like a munch in that it is a kinky get-together in a public place basically for meeting people in a vanilla context. The main difference between a slosh and a munch is that sloshes are more alcohol-oriented and munches are not, even though you can get alcohol in some places where munches take place. And to contrast that with play parties, both sloshes and munches, there's basically no kinky activities per se, happening. So the second question is, to what extent did we feel comfortable in this particular space? Another question would be, to what extent did the overt emphasis on alcohol influence our experience there? To what extent did we feel comfortable doing power exchange and why? To what extent did we feel most comfortable being sadomasochists and why? What were some differences in our individual comfort levels at different points during the evening? And with regard to all of these questions, how does space and place factor into our comfort levels? So the slosh was on a Friday night and... Lance picked me up at my home in Boulder County, and we headed north toward Larimer County, which is one of the northernmost counties on the Front Range. Yes, I remember that I had your kayaks in the back of my pick-em-up truck, 
We planned to do a nice lake kayaking tour the next day. As it happens, I do have a history in Larimer County that is stained with trauma and personal defeat. Oh, dear. I taught at-risk youth in the town of Loveland for two years, but at-risk is really a euphemism. Most or all of the students in the two programs where I taught had already experienced tremendous amounts of abuse and neglect by the time they got into the programs. And they were in the programs because their behaviors resulting largely from the abuse they had experienced tended to be extremely disruptive and frequently dangerous to themselves and others, especially in classroom environments. I have many great memories from those years, but I also sustained a not insignificant amount of secondary and primary trauma while working there. So whenever I'm in that region of Colorado, that time of my life is always at the back of my mind. That said, Larimer County, where the slosh is held and also where I taught, is very, very beautiful most of the year. And even during my darkest times teaching in northern Colorado, I always loved my drive to and from work. So even with the traumatic memories of teaching there, the semi-rural and natural environment that we were driving through was relaxing and was already putting me in a good mood before we even got to the slosh. Mm, yeah, I, I noticed how green everything was still in that area, even though it was early August. Typically, the Denver area is the high plains desert area, and everything turns brown rather quickly in the summer. But um, so far, we've been having a pretty wet summer. Yeah. And I should also mention that at that time, Colorado was filled up with smoke haze from California that was bellowing east. And that can always put a damper on people's moods. Damn Californians. <laughs> Hopefully that's not still happening while you're listening to this. Right. We're headed to that region fairly soon. So I can't tell you much about the venue because one of the organizers wants to keep that private only to people who have signed up for for specific times for the slosh. But what I will say is that it's on the outskirt of a town in northern Colorado, technically a small city. And the city is basically surrounded by small and medium-sized farms and big residential plots with large houses 5,000 to 8,000 square feet. So the slosh did take place in a restaurant inside of a well-known lower-end hotel chain. I started out wearing a mask, but no one else there, including Lance, was wearing a mask. And when we walked in, we did get a couple of dirty looks from the bar. Really? I just thought that they were looking to see who was coming into the bar because... It's not a place that is frequented that often, and to have people coming in, you just tend to turn around and take a look. I don't know how often it was frequented, but that's quite possible. It was empty, almost empty, when we got there. Or maybe they knew what was coming. Maybe they all knew that their little place there was going to be overrun by weirdos within the next <laughs> half hour. Regardless, sheep-like, I took my mask off. 
And it was weird for me because I had just gotten back from visiting my family in LA a few days before, and everyone in LA wore masks wherever we went, and most of the places we went to required it. So with regard to the geographic scales that we discussed in last week's episode, would you consider a slosh or munch location a kind of home? That's the closest of the geographic categories that I could think of. Possibly, but I would consider it more of a community, specifically our community, a place that we could consider more accepting, more welcoming, and in general, more safe. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And looking ahead in the episode, I mean, I really did feel throughout the night that we were at a community event. And even though we weren't from that region, that we were welcome as kinksters. I've often had the feeling without much evidence that the Northern Colorado kink scene was more closely knit than other kink scenes on the front range that we've had some experience with. And that slosh did provide some evidence to support that feeling that I had. Yeah, I I would kind of agree with that. Um, We'll get into it a little later, but it's kind of obvious upon first evidence that there was, and this is what I was afraid of, that some of the groups might be a little cliquish, that there was definitely some kind of established order already. So we went in, we sat down in a booth, there was a roped off area up some stairs, kind of like a mezzanine for the slosh, I just assumed, seemed obvious, but no one was up there yet. And so I didn't want to be the first kinksters up there. So we sit down at the booth in the main dining area, and there's a country western singer in one corner of the dining room, just belting out country western songs. (laughs) Yes, the entertainment for that night is definitely worth mentioning. I don't know if the country western singer that entertained us was the same throughout the whole night, but it was rather comical. He had absolutely no microphone technique. The microphone was producing a ton of feedback. And in addition to that, he like walked around the whole area, the the bar, the mezzanine area, basically annoying <laughs> what I would consider annoying <laughs> patrons with a pretty bad fiddle playing. So after maybe 20 minutes, the first kinksters arrived besides us and went up to the mezzanine. Yeah, upon their arrival, and it's kind of curious that they arrived all at the same time. There was a group of about six people in their late 20s, early 30s. But when we approached them, they were very welcoming. There was a little bit of apprehension on their part or maybe nervousness. And I thought that to be kind of expected, but different in that they definitely wanted to make an attempt to welcome us. And that's what I felt. And I appreciated that. Later on in that night, I noticed that the majority of them were ordering martinis. So I dubbed that table the martini table. Yeah. So how would you describe the overall ambiance of the restaurant, like the decor, the lighting? Yeah, pretty chill, pretty soft, a lot of wood, a lot of leather in soft fabrics, low lighting, not like modernistic, not aggressive in your face. 
It was a relaxing atmosphere. To me, it seemed a lot more relaxed than most of the bars that I've been in within the last few years. And maybe that's just because it was on the outskirts of town in a in a low-end hotel. So maybe 20 minutes or so after that first group arrived, people started streaming in pretty mm-hmm. steadily. And as soon as that started happening, it started getting more interesting, of course. So the first person that we talked to was an octogenarian gold miner. And, and you kind of called him over because he was so unique looking that you just wanted to get to get to know him but he was smiling and he was so adorable i don't mean that in a condescending way so he came and sat with us and we started talking and he started telling us about the gold mining and he lives in wyoming and in, uh, in parts of colorado and he was he's a you know baby boomer and he told us about his experiences in the 60s and he was a vietnam vet and i'm like oh my god please, please, please let us interview you because I really wanted to get an interview for the slosh while we never got to interview him. Because what he said was, we can talk about you interviewing me after you learn more about me. And so he did talk to us more about him, but it turns out that he actually had very little kink experience at all. So here's a 80-year-old dude coming in to the scene who'd always wanted to explore kink and is now exploring it pretty late in life. He was just so charming and fascinating. I really wish we'd gotten the interview. But that particular situation was actually disrupted by the drinking for me. Yeah, because when it came time for me to ask him again, after what we had learned, which did not preclude him from being interviewed as far as I was concerned, I was just a little too tipsy to be willing to try my first real interview with someone I had just met at a kink event. I just wasn't ready for it. But all that aside, he was definitely a fascinating individual talking about the Vietnam War, where we were stationed growing up in the 60s, all all the drugs, sex, and rock and roll that he experienced. With all that expression of regret i was kind of surprised by his reticence to take you up on that offer for a play session when he repeatedly said that how he was up for experiencing new things and trying to make up for lost time yeah so i did at one point offer him a play session just because he was so interesting and you know we exchanged contact information on fet life and the next day he did message me and everything. I don't think that play session is going to happen, though, because he seemed to be much more interested in a long-term relationship and stuck to that story, even though that was not something Mm. I was offering. The mezzanine pretty much filled up. And at that point, the kinksters just started spilling all over the entire restaurant, which was actually really beautiful to see. Lots of mingling going on. And that's what struck me as totally different about a slosh over munches. People were much more willing to get up off their asses and talk to other people other than their own existing acquaintances. Yeah. And the fact that we could really take over the whole place, there's that idea of taking over again. Like It really became our space. It couldn't not be that way. There were too many of us there. And that made it feel kind of homey to me in Mm. some ways. We were there under totally legit circumstances, 
and we just relaxed all over the place. We also got to talk to some other people. We talked to a lovely Englishman from London. Apparently, he had had a conversation with Lance before coming up to the bar to talk to me. Uh, that was a little <laughs> odd. I like him a lot, and he was very cool. We talked about American women being completely gaga for British accents. And I'd seen him in other kinky events at Munches. And so it was great to get to know him a little bit more. But talking to this English guy in the middle of this semi-rural motel restaurant, I think that took it to another level right there. I forgot what we talked about, but at some point I, I mentioned you and he expressed an interest in talking to you and he basically wanted me to point you out to him. We did talk about different types of impact play and various strategies in impact play and such. So then I went back up to the mezzanine and we talked to one of the organizers of the Munch, who was a very lovely woman. Do you have anything to say? I did not get to talk to her too much. I met some other individuals while you were talking to her. There was a student from Northern Colorado, I think it's called, in uh, in one of the towns. Really? Greeley. So then the English guy comes up and hands me a sticky note with the word Jambok on it. We had been talking about beating someone bloody and so he was telling me about the Jambok because he said certainly that would do the job. I believe that we ha might have talked about it on our impact episode when we were talking about canes of different types and a Jambok is basically a, a certain very serious type of cane being used across the British Empire for compliance for essentially free labor from the natives, i.e. slavery. And so the whole thing was just so evil. And there's this <laughs> British guy saying, here, here, use this colonial imperialistic torture device on your slave. It was just unbelievably fun. But the only problem is we've discovered later that it's an implement that is very hard to obtain. It's apparently made out of either rhinoceros or hippopotamus hides. Rhino leather is totally illegal, but hippo leather is not. But it would still be hard to get it through customs. The next day, I spent a lot of time online researching it and found that it is very difficult to get one out of the country, although in-country... There are also rubber ones that you can get in the United States, but of course that store was out of out of stock. <laughs> Nonetheless, we're going to get some version of that at some point and hopefully maybe make our way to South Africa and get the real thing. What kind of sick people are supporting a market like that? And then I got to talk to another dom, actually a switch, but was happy to speak to me in her dom persona. From her, I learned a lot about some controversies that happened in the Metro Denver scene that I had heard of only very vaguely. I got all the whole scoop hmm. on that. So she's a fun person to know as well. And overall, it was just really a good social environment. And I was really pleased about the whole thing. And the alcohol has to have had something to do with that relaxation. I think I had a total of three and a half glasses of Chardonnay, and that was plenty. 
How much did you drink? I had two beers and a gin and tonic at the end. So not too much. And so, of course, it wasn't just our drinking that made us more relaxed, but it was also the fact that everyone else was drinking or that I imagine most of the people there were drinking at least a little bit since it was a slosh. So that relaxation was kind of communal. So the questions. So the first one was, to what extent did we feel comfortable doing power exchange and why? Do you think we did any kind of power exchange there? We certainly were comfortable talking about our relationship with other kinksters. So the power exchange was mostly that we spoke openly about it to other kinksters. But it was fun. It was, of course, very nice to, to be able to talk about power exchange with people who wouldn't be horrified by it. Okay, so another question is, to what extent did we feel most comfortable being sadomasochists and why? We didn't do any sadomasochism, right. did we? And but we we did feel comfortable about being ourselves. And we did talk about sadomasochism, especially with the English dude, in very mm -hmm. plain terms. And we were talking about a very, I would say, a tabooish type of sadism, right? We were speaking openly about imperialism and kinks based on non-consensual slavery. We were basically talking about a tool of apartheid. And then the next day, I looked up some YouTube videos about it, and several of the videos were examples of it being used within the last year or so, one by a Black African woman who had been gang raped, and the criminal justice system wasn't doing anything. And so a group of vigilantes rounded up all of her rapists, tied them all together naked, and then she just beat the shit out of them with the jambok. And then the other one uh, was a video of some black workers who had not been paid by their bosses beating the shit out of their bosses with the jambok. Yeah, that, that group was totally fascinating to me. Yeah, the vigilantes. Yeah, they're the South African version of what is that group in New York that rides the subways and protects people? They're the Guardian Angels? Yes, the Guardian Angels. And the social justice context of both of them and the reversal of the black workers beating the white bosses with the tool that was historically so well known as one used by white bosses on black workers. It was pretty amazing. A conversation like that has never been had at the Boulder <laughs> Munch or the Longmont Munch, at least by us. Certainly not. No. Could you even have that conversation before copious amounts of drink? <laughs> I don't know. In, in a public place? Probably I don't know. Probably not. What are some differences in our comfort levels at different points of the night? One difference was that the cocktail table immediately like got my hackles up. It was a group of people. They did not seem friendly. They seemed very cliquish. They seemed to me like they were straight out of high school. And they reminded me very much of high school. I was like back in my high school place. Was there any moment when you didn't feel comfortable? Approaching that guy from Nebraska, he was on his phone and it looked like he was doing work. And that's what I basically asked him. And he put his phone away and started talking with me. And I appreciated that. So you were nervous about approaching him? 
Yes. And I was nervous approaching the younger woman from Northern Colorado University because I knew that she would think that I was an older guy trying to hit on her. And did she? So those were two uncomfortable situations. Her responses were very reserved and controlled, and the conversation basically didn't go anywhere because of that. So in terms of the geographical piece, I don't know how much the semi-rural location was significant overall. On the other hand, I think it's fair to say that many, if not most, of the kinksters at the no-coast slosh do live in northern Colorado. And while there are several small cities and a scattering of small towns throughout Larimer and Weld County, which is also a huge county that takes up most of eastern Colorado, I think the vibe there is more relaxed and slower-paced and friendlier than in the Metro Denver area kink scene. It's more conservative, probably, I'm guessing, even though Fort Collins is home to a major university, but it also seems a lot more friendly. I just had an idea. What about the fact that the event happened in a hidden or not so well-known place? It's definitely not a well-known nightclub or a popular bar. There were a few people there that might have been guests at the hotel. But I'm kind of curious as to why they didn't ask us, hey, what's going on? Why is this place so crowded? Why are these people wearing name tags? What kind of event is this? Who are you all with? I think that the event organizers like the fact that it's not well-known and in that way, sort of exclusive. Yeah, I kind of like that too. I think that might have been one of the reasons why the organizers want to keep the location just to people who RSVP. Mm-hmm. Back to the question about the difference between a slosh and a munch. I think that even though at some munches you can order alcohol, you're at these long tables most of the time and you can get up and move around and talk to people. But it's at the ones that I've been to, it's pretty cramped. Big long banquet tables at IHOP do not <laughs> encourage freedom of movement. Right. The bar setting is much more conducive to socializing rather than a restaurant where you're more or less expected just to sit in one place. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Our next episode or two will be focusing on our trip to the City of Angels and to my hometown of Santa Monica and DomCon LA. Until then, check us out on social media and have a great week. Thank you.